We're following the theme that we have done for the last uh, couple of weeks on uh, growing up. And those of you who are our guests this morning, we, we really sense at the beginning of this year that God was really speaking to us as a church and as individuals uh, that we would grow up. This was a year of growth, and I'm pleased to say numerically we are growing. There are uh, new faces with us each week, which is absolutely wonderful. It's a sign of health. It's a sign of uh, life. It's a sign that lives are changing. And uh, growth occurs when lives change, when individuals' lives change. And so last week we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about the importance of forgiveness in terms of, uh, first of all, receiving what Jesus has done for us and what he's paid for us, and through that forgiveness that we're able to forgive others. And for all of us in the room, there's, there's not one single person that hasn't been hurt or subjected to some sort of wrongdoing towards us. And, and as Christians, it's part and parcel of life that we have to uh, release forgiveness uh, to other people. And often it's about releasing ourselves and releasing the person that may have hurt us. But this morning we want to take this theme on slightly, uh, slightly forwards and we're going to look at a woman in the Bible who was so taken by Jesus and so forgiven by him that she just couldn't help but lavish the most extravagant and intimate um, love towards Jesus because of the grace and the mercy that she'd encountered uh, with him. And as we do that, we're going to talk about generosity, about giving of ourselves, of our time and our talent and our treasure. And um, as we do that, just wanted to uh, kind of introduced to you, there's a very well-known lady, Mother Teresa. She was once asked in an interview with Hello! magazine, she was asked the question, is it only the affluent who give? And she said, no, even the poorest of the poor give. The other day, I, I, a very poor beggar came up to me and said, everyone gives to you, and I also want to give you 20, I can't pronounce the currency there, in, in India, which, is, which equates to about two pennies here. I thought to myself, what do I do? If I take it, he won't have anything to eat. But if I don't take it, I will hurt him so much. So I took. And he was so happy because he had given to Mother Teresa of Calcutta to help the poor. Giving cleans the heart and helps you get closer to God. You get so much back in return. And actually, here's the thing. What tends to be true is actually the more affluent actually give less proportionately. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, some of you have been to the poorest of poor countries, and the most humbling experience is this, is that they give you, us, the guest, their very best. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you a story. I remember being in Russia, and we went for a meal at someone's house, and they put the best linen out on the table, and they cooked us the best food, which they wouldn't have had as their regular dinner. And it was like, my goodness, I should be buying you this. I should be taking you out for dinner. And uh, it's, it's often the way. Those with little give more proportionately. Uh, some of the statistics I read in terms of the American church, as uh, the American church through the Great Depression would have given proportionately more money at the church that was there in America than actually in the more affluent times. And there's a, there's a real correlation there. But generosity, here, this, here's the thing. It's not just about a nice character trait that people have, but it's right at the heart of faith. It's right at the heart of relationship with Jesus. And we're going to uh, explore just that one fabulous story 
from the Bible. Would you like to come, Chance? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one he had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus is invited to dinner at the Simon the Pharisee. And uh, remind, remind the Pharisees, they were the religious people, they were the law uh, givers or the law teachers really. And they, they lived as legalistic kind of folks and their job or their role within society was of a high and prominent position. They were well respected and well regarded within society. And their job really was to encourage it well, to teach really the law that people would be right with God. But right not through necessarily relationship, but right through doing things right. And, uh, and so the Pharisees, they were out to get Jesus because of some of the things that he'd done, some of the things that he'd said. And Simon's intrigued, and so he invites Jesus to dinner. And uh, they recline at the table. I know that the, the, um, the picture there isn't necessarily probably what it was exactly like in Jesus' day, but you can picture what it was like. It wasn't like a, a table and chairs that we sit out and have dinner. It's a low-level table, and they recline. They kind of lie to the side, and they rest their elbow on something, and they would stick their feet out, away from the nice food and drink that they would be eating. And the reason, obviously, that they would put their feet away is because of the dusty roads and the dirt and everything else that would have kind of gathered um, on themselves as they would be walking. Now, having a rabbi as Jesus was regarded or any kind of special guest to a home for a meal was a big deal in those days. It was like the celebrity has come to town. It's like, well, such and such is here. They're going to the Simon the Pharisees for dinner. It was big news. It was breaking news. And because they didn't have newspapers and uh, magazines and TV and the internet, or definitely not Twitter or Facebook, the, the, the talk of the town was Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's having dinner at Simon's house. And the way that it would have been set up was that 
They, they would have had dinner together, reclining at the table, but other guests or other people were allowed to gather into the room. It was a bit like a, um, what's that, come dine with me program. Does anyone watch that? I don't really. Uh, but So they come, they have dinner together, but a picture that plus a real audience, not just people watching it through TV, a real audience would have gathered in the room and would have been allowed to kind of stand at the sides and listen and watch in terms of the conversation that would have taken place. It was kind of like modern, old, ancient day entertainment. Not much crack in those days, but that's what they got to do. Now, often the poorer people would have been able to have attended these things, even though it was a kind of quite a prestigious place, and they would have gone in the hope for some food themselves that left over towards the end of the meal. But one thing is for sure, that a woman like this should not and would not have naturally been accepted and a part of this dinner festival. And yet, she chooses to go. She knows he's going to be there, and she wants to see him, and she wants to do something uh, for him. Now, this sinful woman, we don't know her name, okay? And she's not to be confused with the other time when Jesus uh, encountered a woman. The, the other woman was Mary of Bethany and uh, encountered an alabaster jar of perfume which was poured over him. It probably happened about a year later and it was in preparation for Jesus' burial. Uh, sorry, Jesus' death and burial. And uh, so it's a different time, a different place. Uh, it was at Simon the leper's house, so it's a different Simon as well. Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee. So let's not kind of get confused on those. But one thing is for sure, or one thing is greatly assumed is that this woman, this sinful woman, was most likely to have been a prostitute. And that's what she would, she would have done. And she would have been known within this community. And there she is. She pitches up at this dinner. And Jesus is there. And the Pharisee is there. And she's gone with one thing in mind. And that is to anoint Jesus' head with perfume. And that's what she wanted to do. Perfume was an essential part of being a prostitute. It would have uh, also been a, a natural part of just simply being a Jewish woman in those days. And uh, ladies would have carried around this, uh, this um, it's called a vial, of, uh, made of alabaster. Alabaster was a kind of type of marble which would have been quarried and fashioned and um, mainly from Egypt. And uh, women would have worn these with a string of leather around their uh, around their neck, and they would have had it, much like many of our women today do, is to smell nice. And you can imagine, you know, for a prostitute, it was part and parcel of, uh, of what she did and what she carried around with her. So she brings with her this alabaster jar full of perfume. Now, perfume wasn't cheap. It was expensive, as it is today. Men, isn't that right? We make every use of the tax-saving benefits at duty-free if we're ever there. <laughs> Chantel's thinking, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> uh, I, I read, just kind of trying to research around some of this stuff, that, that it was known there was one guy, uh, it was reported that he would have set aside 400 gold coins a year to supply his wife's perfume needs. I mean, that's pretty dear, like, <clears throat> regardless it was an expense, and it was something uh, that was carried um, with a woman, for a woman. Now, she had come with one intention, that was to anoint his head. Now, the anointing 
really something that we would do. We anoint with oil. We don't actually do it that much actually in this church. But there was something that kind of happened within the Bible. Anointing really was about um, stating and saying this person is set apart. And Jesus was known as the anointed one. He was set apart and he was the chosen one. And she wanted to come and to honor him in that way uh, by placing some perfume upon his head, anointing him with perfume. But she didn't get to do that. That was her intention, but she actually ended up doing something far more lavish and far more intimate. Let's just for illustration's sake, we don't know this thing. Sometimes we embellish, maybe that's the wrong word. But imagine it's night time. She's in the room, they're all in the room, it's dimly lit, the candles are there, and it's an intimate scene. And she is there uh, as the prostitute, not meant to be there, and she is taking her place, and she's standing behind him at Jesus' feet. So when she came in, she went to the feet of Jesus, and probably in her mind, wondering how and when she would get this opportunity to anoint his head with with. Uh, perfume. She stands there and she begins to weep. She begins to cry. And we don't understand. We don't necessarily know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But this morning, I'm I'm crying. This morning, I, I'm just that's just what I was doing there this morning. You can't see it, but I'm telling you now. And I'm doing that because I'm coming into the presence of Jesus. And there's been many, many times that I've done that. There's many, many times that you've done that. As we enter into the presence of Jesus and we meet with him and his presence, we become undone and very often tears come. It's just a natural physical emotion. So we can assume in Jesus' presence, this woman, this woman, this sinful woman who's all kinds of stuff that she's done in her life, as we all have, comes into the holy presence of Jesus with that love and with that acceptance and with that grace and that mercy. And she's just undone. She's in pieces. Her tears are flowing. And she assumes this prostate position at Jesus' feet. And her tears, her tears, um, the Greek word is breko here, which means rain. They literally rain tears onto Jesus' feet. And they supply the liquid that was required to wash or to clean Jesus' dirty feet. Now, she didn't know what to do. She takes her hair and she begins then to wipe Jesus' feet. Now, picture that in our culture today. That's embarrassing. That's intimate. That's lavish. That's, that's. Now, here's the thing. In Jewish culture, women would have worn their hair up. And they would have tied it up somehow like many women today do. And it was known in Jewish culture to lower your hair would have been to signify a loose kind of woman. And the, the Pharisees would have taught that that would have been on the grounds for divorce, to wear your hair down. So women would have naturally worn their hair up. And so she unties her hair. She chooses her long hair and she begins to wipe the tears and the dirt from Jesus' feet. And once his feet were clean, she begins kissing them. The word here is cataphilio. That's an intense word, and it's the same word that was used when Jesus, uh, sorry, when Jesus tells the son of the prodigal son how the prodigal son would have come back to the father. The father would have embraced the son and would have planted kisses, an intense 
kind of um, hug and embrace towards each other. It's the same kind of deal. After she spent this time, we don't know how long the time was of kissing him, she performs the final act and she takes the perfume, which was meant for his head, and she pours it onto his feet. It's a costly thing to her. It cost her money that she would have earned from her trade as a prostitute. And she's poured it out, literally poured it out onto Jesus' feet. Now, the Pharisee judges, doesn't he? His response is like, goodness, what's going on here? If this man were a prophet, if he really knew, he would know what kind of woman this is. And so the Simon the Pharisee's suspicions about Jesus become the calm true. It's like, this guy can't be a prophet. Philip, if he really was, he'd really know who, what's going on and who this woman is. There's no way. And in his mind, and let's be honest, in our minds, he was deeply uncomfortable with what he had just witnessed. But Jesus uses this whole experience to teach Simon and the other hearers in that room a lesson. And he tells a parable. And it's just a very simple one. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One was 500 denarii, let's call it 500 pounds, and the other was 50 pounds. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which one of them were loved more? And Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. The one who owed more loved more. The one who owed more, loved more. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. And Jesus takes this monetary situation to illustrate a point between the debt that we have created and the love that he bestows upon us. The sinful woman was a prostitute of many, many debts that she would have built up over the years. And she had been pardoned and she had been forgiven. And she had been forgiven much. Her debt had been paid much. And because of that, her response was, great it was awesome what she did and what she poured out and so Jesus uses this amazing um, act and he begins to compare Simon the Pharisee to this woman who we don't know her name and what she had done as a prostitute and he compares the two and he says these things do you see this woman I came into your house Simon and you did not give me water for my feet. It would have been customary in those days to have been given water to wash the dirt off of them. And Simon the Pharisee did not give Jesus anything to do that. And yet, this woman here, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you did not give me a kiss when I came. It would have been customary to have welcomed and greeted someone with a kiss. Simon didn't do that. And yet this woman here has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you did not put oil, which was a cheaper product than perfume. You did not anoint my head with oil. And yet this woman has poured perfume on my feet. And he compares the two. What a contrast. What a contrast between the religious man and the sinful woman. What a contrast. And he uses this whole thing to say, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I've heard time and time again, a friend of mine, he would have spoken and he would have kind of flipped that verse and would say this. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. How does this relate to us? Picture this. Jesus is literally here. Imagine he's here, here, in human form. Or, if this helps you, picture Jesus coming for Sunday lunch today. Or wherever you're having dinner. Picture it. Imagine he, the literal Jesus, is a guest with you. You encounter him. You're in his literal, physical presence. And he tells you you are loved. And he tells you that your many sins are forgiven. It's all done and dusted. Every single thing is done and dusted. How would you respond? How would you cope with that? What would you do? And what would you give? You see, here's the thing. There is a direct correlation. There is a direct reaction and response to people who have known and experienced the love of Jesus and have responded in their time, their talent, and their treasure in terms of giving of themselves to others, for others, for using the God-given talents that he has given you to serve and to bless and to encourage others, and for giving the money that you receive, that you earn, that however you get it coming into your bank account, that you use that to lavish upon Jesus, upon his church, and upon his people. What we do with our energy, our devotion, our money, and our time is a temperature gauge of our hearts. That's it. There is a direct relationship between where our hearts are at and what we do with our money. There is a direct relationship between where we're at and how we've experienced the love of Jesus and what we do. And whenever we felt God speaking to us, um, the beginning of the year about growing up, this whole area of, of, um, of the way that we handle our finances was a really, really big area that I knew I was going to have to teach. We just have to teach it. The Bible is full of it. It's just full. Why? Because like Mother Teresa spoke earlier, there is a, there's such a... Uh, such a significance between what we do there and our actual relationship with Jesus. So, where do we go from here? Search our hearts and we ask ourselves a question. Does your financial offering to God through the church, does that honor the Lord? Is that a direct overflow of what's going on? Is what you give a response of what he has given to you? And if this makes you feel uncomfortable, then perhaps God is encouraging you to respond. And like, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. But dial in with Jesus on that. Don't, we never want you, I'm always going to say this whenever we teach on this. 
We never want you to go home feeling guilty, the false guilt or us. But we do want you to dial in with Jesus and say, God, what would you have of me? What would you have? Whatever is in my heart, that is what I should do. That is how I should respond. And again, remember what I said earlier. It's not equal gift. It's not equal amounts. It's equal sacrifice. So if you receive £10,000 a year, or if you receive £100,000 a year, it's equal sacrifice. The amount and all that stuff is not important. It's the, it's the portion of it. It's the sacrifice. It's the two coins, the widow's offering, that Jesus literally saw her put in. And folks, again, I, I'm aware that there's many guests here this morning. And if you are, um, be our guests. This is, uh, this is not a, we don't teach on money every week, okay? Um, and if that's, if that's that, you're a guest here this morning. But if you have been coming for some time and you've been wondering, goodness, where does this church get all money? <laughs> um, this, is, this is how we give. Many folks in our church give by standing order. And it's, it's the, for, for us, it's the best way. It helps us because it kind of comes straight in and, uh, and it can be gift-aided if you're a taxpayer and all that sort of stuff. That's really, really helpful. And for us, it's worked well because we just know it just comes, money comes in and goes straight out. We don't really have to think too much about that except the amount that is going out that we do think and pray about. But for some, that isn't the best way. And so some people choose to give through bank transfer. And that's, that's great. And you can do that. Uh, some people like to give by check uh, or by cash. And they make use of our giving box. You'll see it. it's the most traditional thing that we are. It's our wooden uh, kind of collection box with a nice cross on it. And uh, it's on our welcome desk. And many of you choose to give through that, which, again, is fantastic. Again, if you're doing that, there's envelopes. And please tick on it. If you're a taxpayer, because we do get 25 pence back in that for that. Um, folks, on any of this stuff that I've been talking about, you know, if you want to talk to me more about that, uh, I'd love to do that. Uh, you're under no compulsion to give. Um, but we would really ask you to go before the Lord because of everything that he has done for us. It's an overflow of the heart. That's what it is. It's an overflow. Uh, Steve Fugard, he's the good-looking chap at the back with, um, have you a moustache at the minute? A bit of a beard going on at the minute. Um, he, 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 he deals with all our finance and uh, all our kind of accounts and that sort of stuff, and he's absolutely brilliant at it. And uh, if you want to talk to him, he's the man. 